Good to see all of you today for the first time. Uh, well, not the first time since February, but I haven't preached here since February. So I'm going to ask my fiance, Marcella, to read the scripture passage today. Our passage today, if you have your Bible with you, go ahead and turn with us to Isaiah chapter 35. Ah, what? What? Perfect. I think you'll enjoy this sermon. Well, oh yeah, oh yeah. I'm going to leave this on for Marcella and then I'll turn it off. But thanks, Larry. Well, yeah, Isaiah chapter 35. We're going to read the whole chapter, but it's only 10 verses, so don't worry. Okay, well, now if you're able to, will you please stand for the reading of God's word? The desert and the parched land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom. Like the crocus, it will burst into bloom. It will rejoice greatly and shout for joy. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it. The splendor of Carmel and Sharon. They will see the glory of the Lord and the splendor of our God. Strengthen the feeble hands, steady the knees that will that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong, do not fear. Your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. He will come to save you. Then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame lead like a deer, and the mute tongues shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness, and streams in the desert. The burning sand will become a pool, the thirsty ground bubbling springs, in the haunts where jackals once lay, grass and reeds and papyrus will grow. And a highway will be there. It will be called the way of holiness. It will be for those who walk on that way. The unclean will not journey on it. Wicked fools will not go about on it. No lion will be there, nor any ravenous beast. They will not be found there, but only the redeemed will walk there. And those the Lord has rescued will return. They will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them. And sorrow and sign will flee away. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Marcella. Well, can y'all hear me? Yes, sir. Perfect. Well, uh, would y'all pray with me? Lord, God, we just want to say thank you. Thank you that you've gathered us all here together today. God, we could be laying in bed. We could be uh, eating at a restaurant. We could be doing a whole lot of other things. 
But God, we realize how good and pleasant it is when brothers and sisters dwell together in community and fellowship. God, you're gonna do something in our hearts and our minds today that could not possibly be done if we were laying in bed alone or out at breakfast alone. God, you have something you want to say to us today. Help us, Lord, to lean in and listen to your word. Your word is a lamp for our feet. It's a light for our path. Thank you, God. Please speak through me. Please speak your word into our hearts. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, first off, I have a question. I'm used to hearing snoring sounds two-thirds way through my sermon. So what does that sound? He has a, a deal in there, the baby. Oh, there's a baby in there? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. And wow. he makes that noise. Perfect. For Christmas. No problem. I was just curious. I was like, yeah, people are already snoring. I didn't even start yet. So uh, that's encouraging. Well, so it's been a long time since I've preached up here. This feels weird. I haven't been up here since February. And you know, the reason I left here was to go to Arlington, Texas, to become a pastoral resident and start a three-year pastoral residency there. So I've got to do a lot of cool things over there. I've learned a lot, a lot of things uh, I never dreamed of doing. I never dreamed of being asked to like lead and direct Vacation Bible School. Apparently, they thought of that. They were like, you should do it. And I was like, are you sure? But I did. Uh, I've learned so many cool things in my residency, and I've gotten the chance to go on some mission trips during that time, too. So one of the first mission trips I went to when I got there was with the college group. We went to Colorado. We went to Loveland, Colorado. That was cool. But during the summer, we went to Brazil. That was my first time to ever leave the country my entire life. I'm 32 years old, contrary to what other people might tell you. No, I'm not 16, I'm 32. And this is my first time to leave the country. And I went to Brazil, and so when we got there, it was such a long trip, but uh, it was me and a group from uh, Texas, there were people from uh, Atlanta, there were people from the very southern part of Brazil, and we all met in just kind of the central area, Brazil. We did most of our ministry primarily in this little village called Frontera dos Valles. And so um, I was on the visitation team. Part of what I did is I would go around uh, with a group and we would go into people's houses that had signed up for visitation and we would just share the good news of Jesus with people. That was a really crazy experience for me. Um, But in the second house that I went to, um, there was this guy, like, Brazil is so different because people just sit in their house and they just leave their front door open. And then people can just walk in. Like we were just talking to a group and then all of a sudden, oh, their son walks in and his wife walks in. Oh, hey, how's it going? Their son's name was Wellington. He was an adult and he was older than me. But Wellington was so excited. Do you want to know why he was so excited? Because some of us were from Texas. He was so excited to meet someone from Texas. <coughs> Apparently not as excited to meet some people from Atlanta. But for the people from Texas, he was like, oh man, I I watch videos of Texas on the internet every day. 
It's my dream to go to Texas. It's on my, I want to go to Texas one day. I said, well, come on, come visit, come to Texas. But of course, that's a long way. That was like a 12-hour uh, flight. And then like maybe like a, I don't even remember how long the van ride over there was. Maybe like five or six hours. Like it was a long way to get there. So he had a question for me that a lot of people were asking when I was there. The question was, okay, you're from Texas. You're all the way from there. What are you doing here? Why are you here? I, I get that you're here. Why? Why are you here? Now, I tell you that because I really believe that we're really similar to Wellington on Christmas. We see the manger scene. We say, woohoo, Jesus is here. He's here. Okay, there's Jesus, there's Joseph, there's Mary. Uh, there's the wise men, there's the shepherds. We know that Jesus is here, but if we're honest, a lot of times when we get to this part of the year and we're celebrating Jesus' birth, we say, yay, I'm so glad you're here. But what are you doing here? Why are you here? Right? Sometimes we don't know exactly what that answer is. Thankfully for us, Scripture tells us not just that Jesus has come here, but why he's come here. And in the Old Testament, which is what we've been looking at today, Marcella read the passage for us, it tells us about the coming of Christmas and not just about its coming, but why it's coming. It tells us three things about Christmas. It tells us a promise about Christmas. It tells us a vision of what that promise is going to look like when it happens. And it tells us the way that it's going to happen. So promise. God makes a promise to us here. He gives us a vision for what it's going to look like, and he tells us how he's going to do it. So first off, let's look at that promise that God makes to us. Christmas is about a promise. Look at verse 1 through 4 again. The desert and the parched land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom. Like the crocus, it will burst into bloom. It will rejoice greatly and shout for joy. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it. The splendor of Carmel and Sharon. Why? Why are they going to blossom? Because they will see the glory of the Lord. The splendor of our God. Strengthen the feeble hands. Steady the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong. Do not fear. Your God will come. He will come with vengeance. With divine retribution, he will come to Save you. So look, in these verses, God gives us a promise that is going to strengthen our feeble hands, steady our knees, and calm our fearful hearts. And what is that promise? The promise is that he's going to come and be with us. But it's not just that. Because a lot of times on Christmas, we say, yay, God's here, he promised to come here. But that's not all he promised. If I, um, if I, like, I don't have epilepsy. Let's just say I had, like, a seizure or something in my apartment. And the ambulance came. It's great that they're there. But if they're like, okay, and they just stand next to me. No, they're there. Why? To help me. To save me. And God makes a promise. I'm not just going to come stand next to you. I'm going to come and save you. Because you are not in the condition you need to be 
You desperately need to be saved. You desperately need to be helped. You belonged to... Now, if you're a Christian, if you're a believer, you belonged to. If you're not a Christian, if you're not a believer, you do belong to. But if you're a Christian, you belonged to a kingdom of darkness. We all at one point belonged to a kingdom of darkness. Does that sound weird to you? It's what Paul tells us in Colossians. Colossians chapter 1, verse 13. He says, For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So he's talking about the kingdom of what? The kingdom of God. Dallas Willard defines the kingdom of God as the effective range of God's will. And that sounds very strange, right? What does it mean, the effective range of God's will? Well, it just means God's kingdom is essentially wherever what God wants to be done is done. When what God wants to be done is done, that's where God's kingdom is. That's where we're experiencing God's kingdom. And Paul says, you used to belong to a different kingdom. You used to belong to the evil one's kingdom. And you know, Dallas Willard, in the same book where he told us what the kingdom of God is, the effective range of God's will, he said, we all have our own kingdom. Everybody has their own personal kingdom. Does that sound weird? It sounds weird. But one time when Dallas was at a conference being interviewed, the interviewer said, hey, you said in your book that everybody has their own kingdom. Can you unpack that for us a little bit? And he said, oh, yeah, we can demonstrate that. That won't take very long at all. Everybody reach into the person's, the person next to you, reach into your neighbor's pocket and grab their cash. <laughs> and you will experience a kingdom. It's like, what are you doing? You're violating my kingdom. So look, we all have our kingdoms. We all have, hey, I want this to happen. I don't want this to happen. I'm in control. But the enemy, the evil one, the devil has a kingdom. And scripture says we all belonged to that kingdom. But Christmas tells us not forever. Why? Because God's kingdom, God promised that my kingdom will come. And look, we see that happening in Matthew chapter 12, verse 22 through 29. Look, it says, Then they brought him, brought to Jesus, a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute, and Jesus healed him so that he could both talk and see. Think about our scripture passage today. What is God's promise? I'm going to come and heal you and save you and help you. All the people were astonished and said, Could this be the son of David, the one we've been waiting for? The answer to the promise? But when the Pharisees heard this, they said, It is only by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, that this fellow drives out demons. Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined, and every city or household divided against itself will not stand. If Satan drives out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then can his kingdom stand? And if I drive out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your people drive them out? So then they will be your judges. But if it is by the spirit of God that I drive out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or again, how can anyone enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man? 
Then he can plunder his house. Okay, I know that's so incredibly strange what Jesus is saying. But I want you to see that what, what he's saying is when they said, oh, it's by the power of the devil that he drove out this man's muteness and his deafness. Jesus said, well, if it's by the devil's power that I did that, then how is it that the devil has been bound up, tied up, put into the corner of a house and I'm raiding his house? I'm taking what used to belong to him. Why? Because it really belongs to me. Look, Jesus said, look, the strong man, they said, you're in league with the strong man, the devil. Jesus said, nope. I just took out his wallet and I just plucked that man out of it. Look, we all at one time used to belong to a different kingdom, to the enemy's kingdom. But God made a promise, I'm going to save you. I'm going to heal you. I'm going to redeem you, bring you back to myself. I'm coming with what? With a vengeance. That sounds weird. I'm coming with a vengeance. But look, he says, you've been stolen from me. You've given yourself up to the enemy. I'm coming. I'm coming with a vengeance, with divine retribution. I'm coming for you. You belong from, You belong to me. This man that he healed, he said, nope, he belongs to me. I promised to come to him. I promised to save him. I'm here. Do you realize that's what Christmas is about? God doesn't just make a promise. He is that promise. He says, I will come to you. I will save you. God gives us a promise. That is what Christmas is about. That's why he's here. But he also gives us a vision for what that promise is going to look like when he comes here. Look at verse five through seven. It says, then when God comes to save us, then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand will become a pool, the thirsty ground bubbling springs, and the haunts where jackals once lay, grass and reeds and papyrus will grow. Okay, let me ask you another question. If you're blind, what does that mean? Yeah, and that means something has gone wrong with your sight. If you're deaf, what does that mean? Something has gone wrong with your ability to hear. If you're mute, something has gone wrong with your ability to speak. If the grass is parched and dry, something has gone wrong with its ability to produce vegetation, to flourish. Now look, what is God's vision for what things will look like when he comes to save us? To bring us into his way of life, into his rule, his reign. Well, look, he says, the mute will speak, the blind will see, the deaf will hear, the lame will walk, and the dry ground will become blossoming ground. In other words, everything that's wrong, I'm going to make right. If something's broke, I'm going to fix it. And if it's not good, it will be. That's the vision that he gives to us. He will come to us. He will save us. And when he does... Everything that's wrong will be made right. As the scholar N.T. Wright says, he's come to put the world to rights. Look, this, this world is broken and it's been marred by sin and God has a design for the world, for what it's supposed to look like. And yet we have destroyed that essentially. You know, at the prompting of the enemy, we have, but still we've taken part in this world 
being shattered and broken into pieces. But God's vision is to put it back together again, to fix what's broken and make it right. Marcella, can you hand that box to me, please? Thank you. I forgot to take it up with me. So, right now, me and Marcella, in our spare time, we are working on a Christmas puzzle. We went to Hobby Lobby and said, Ooh, that looks good. So, when we, when we took all the pieces out of here, I've got to be honest, when Marcella dumped it all out on the table, my heart sang, oh, oh my gosh. How are we going to get this out of that? Well... One way that we'll get this out of that is by what? How do we know what we're building? Because we have a point of reference. We have a vision for the way things are supposed to be. And even though they're broken into pieces, we know that this is what it's supposed to be. And we can put it in piece by piece by piece by piece until eventually what's broken and wrong is put together and made right. How do we know what it looks like? For God's world to be made right. For us to be made right. For everything that's broken to be healed. We need a point of reference. Do you see what we have in Isaiah 35? We have this. We have a point of reference. We're able to see what things should look like and what things can look like and what things look, will look like. Why? Because of Jesus. Because the only one who can put the pieces where they're supposed to go has come here and given us a vision for what it will look like when he's put the very last piece in. Think about John the Baptist. John the Baptist in Matthew chapter 11. It says, when John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? Jesus replied, and think about the passage we just read today. Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight. The lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. And the good news is proclaimed to the poor. In other words, what did Jesus say? He said, go and tell John, go look at Isaiah 35. See what things are supposed to look like. Now go look around at what I'm doing. Do you see the pieces starting to fall into place? If God made a promise that it'll come to save you and told you a vision of what it will look like, look around. Because the pieces are starting to fall into place because of Christmas. Because of Christmas. That's what he said. I'm coming to save you. I'm coming to put all the pieces where they're supposed to be. Look, Christmas doesn't deny the broken pieces of your life. That's undeniable. But it gives you a vision of what it will look like when God puts it back together. He has come on Christmas and he's coming again. Do you realize that? He's coming again. And, and when he does, what will happen? Then the eyes of the blind will be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert the burning sand will become a pool, the thirsty ground bubbling springs, and the hot where jackals once lay grass and reeds and papyrus will grow. God has a promise to come and save us, a vision of what it will look like. But here's maybe the most important part. He has a way for us to experience that. 
There's a way. He doesn't just give us a promise or a vision. He gives us a way. So look with me at verse 8 through 10. And the highway will be there. It will be called the way of holiness. It will be for those who walk on that way. The unclean will not journey on it. Wicked fools will not go about on it. No lion will be there, nor any ravenous beast. They will, be not, they will not be found there. But only the redeemed will walk there. And those the Lord has rescued will return. They will enter Zion. In other words, Jerusalem. In other words, the capital, the kingdom. They will enter the kingdom with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them. In sorrow and sighing will flee away. Look, in these verses, God tells us that there is a way for us to be set apart for him. There's a way for us to be made clean by him. There's a way for us to be redeemed. He tells us there's a way for us to be saved from the enemy's hold on us. He tells us there's a way for everlasting joy to crown our heads. There's a way for sighing and sorrow to flee away. And what is that way? He is that way. He is that way. Think about Jesus. I know before I left, we were talking about this verse a lot. It's worth talking about again. In John chapter 14, Jesus, the night before he goes to the cross, is speaking to his followers. He says, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will do what? I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. So how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Look, how can we experience life as we were meant to? How can we experience hope as we were meant to? How can we experience God as we were meant to? How can we experience, how can we experience God as we were meant to? God has to come to us. Hope himself has to come to us. Love himself has to come to us. There's a vision, there's a promise, but we can't experience it unless it comes to us. Unless, let, me, let me try to figure out a way that I can explain this to you. On April 26, I was using a dating app called Hinge, and a certain someone who's sitting right there named Marcella popped up. And we talked for a little bit and said, let's go on a first date. And so on April 30th, of this year, Marcella walked into the coffee shop and in doing so, she walked into my life. Now, a week and a half ago, November 30th, at that same coffee shop, I asked Marcella, will you marry me? She said, of course, of course I will. Now, with Marcella, I have a promise of being with her. I have a vision of being with her. But what do I need in order to experience that promise and that vision? I need Marcella. She's a crucial component for me to experience life with her. So if I said, show me the way to be married to Marcella, Marcella would say, I'm the way. You just need me. So 
So when we ask God, how can I experience hope as I was meant to? How can I experience peace as I was meant to? Love as I was meant to? How can I experience you as I was meant to? God says, me. I literally need to come to you. I'm the way. I'm the way that you'll walk into all of that. You need me. You need Christmas. That's what Christmas is about. God has a way for us. And he's not just sitting there telling us these nice things. No, he's coming to us to bring them to us. So you might be thinking, okay, great. What does your marriage have to do with Jesus' birth? Everything. Why was Jesus born? He's coming to be with us forever. Look, Christopher West, the author Christopher West puts it this way. He says, the Bible can be summed up in five words. God wants to marry us. Does that sound weird or what? And yet, when you read it, if you've read it, you can say, amen. That's true. That's what it's all about. It begins with God creating us, wanting to be with us forever. And throughout it, we find ourselves wandering away. And yet at the end, we find ourselves doing what? Returning and being married to God forever. That sounds bizarre. But think about this. Dr. Julie Slattery says it this way. She says, Jesus said that there will be no marriage in heaven, but we will be like the angels. Why? Because we no longer need the metaphor of God's love when we are alive in his presence. There will be deep intimacy and significant relationships in heaven, but they will not take the form of marriage because marriage is a revelation pointing us to something in the future. Do you see what God's promise and his vision are for us? Marriage to us. Do you see how he's going to do that? What's the way? He's going to come to us. And he has come to us. Look, right now, we're in a season called Advent. And during Advent, the four weeks leading up to Christmas, we look back at the first Christmas while also anticipating the next Christmas. The fact that he's coming back to finish what he started on the first Christmas. The next Christmas when Jesus will return and bring us fully to himself as his bride. And Christmas means that we don't just have a promise of life with God or a vision of life with God. We have a way to enter into that life with God. And it was born in a manger in Bethlehem. Did you know that the earliest Christians faced a certain direction when they prayed? Have you ever thought of that when you pray? Like, what direction should I turn? Here or here? Probably not. But did you know the earliest Christians, did, did they did that? Where did they face? East. East. Good job, Carolyn. They faced, they faced east when they prayed. When they gathered together, they would face east when they would pray. When they prayed alone, they would face east when they would pray. Why did they do that? Well, there's three reasons. Number one was because of paradise. In the beginning of the Bible, what does it say? God planted a garden in the east in Eden. We know that we are not experiencing that paradise because it's been lost. So the earliest Christians would face east when they pray in anticipation of Jesus coming back and bringing paradise, bringing heaven with him. They would also face east because metaphorically, you know, that's where the sun rises. Literally, that's where the sun rises. So metaphorically, it was kind of like, okay, I'm going to face east knowing that I'm in the nighttime right now. But Jesus is coming back 
Just as surely as I can depend on the sun rising every single day, I can depend on Jesus returning to be with me forever. Um, last but not least, think about when Jesus came the first time. Wise men from the east came and said, we saw his star in the east. So in anticipation of his first coming, where did they turn? Towards the east. In anticipation of his second coming, where do we turn? Towards the east. So this is something that I've started, started doing in my life, is, is in the morning, turning towards the east when I pray. Did you know that when you go to a graveyard, typically the graves will be facing east? It's for that reason, in anticipation of Jesus returning. Look, I just told you that me and Marcella just got engaged. That means I live between two Christmases right now. The advent of Marcella entering into my life and our wedding will be together forever. Right now, I live in the middle of that. Did you know that's what's going on with us right now as believers in Jesus? He came into our lives on Christmas. But we're living in between his second coming when he will have a wedding banquet feast with us and bring us into his arms forever. Do you know what's going to happen at that wedding? At our wedding? I'm going to stand at the altar and I'm not going to be like, uh, no. I'm going to be looking towards the direction she's going to be coming in through, right? And I'm going to be looking, oh, I know she's coming, I know she's coming. And sure enough, she's going to turn the corner and there she's going to be. There she's going to be. I'm going to be looking in that direction in anticipation, joy, and excitement of her walking in that way. And in the same way, we right now, living in between the two Christmases, the advent of Jesus' birth, in the advent of his marriage with us. We're living between, and what can we do together? We can turn east, we can face east, say, Lord, I know you're coming again. We can't wait to be with you forever. It trumps everything else I could experience here. Nothing else here could even come close to it. I can't wait. Being engaged, it's grueling. Oh, I can't wait to be married. Being engaged to God in the way that we are through Jesus, oh, can't wait, I can't wait. But that's a promise. There's a vision, there's a promise, and there's a way. And he is the way. He is the truth. He is alive. That way, that truth, that life came on Christmas. And he's coming again. So what I want us to do now is do this. Let's, let's try this together. While Marcella was reading uh, the text, you might have noticed me pulling out my phone because I thought, well, I don't know what direction east is here. But I was able to find out towards that little window is east. So if you're able to, will you please stand with me? And this is something you can do at home by yourself or with your spouse or you can do together as a church. This is something I like to do every morning uh, during my time of scripture reading and prayer. I like to face east, so towards that little uh, window right there. And as you face east, you can do whatever you want with your hands. You can raise them. You can let them lie limp. You can do whatever you want. But I would encourage you to keep your eyes open. We have a tendency to close our eyes when we pray, but I would encourage you to keep your eyes open in anticipation of Jesus' return. And as you face east, I want to read God's word over you. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. 
I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. You may turn around facing me. Amen. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Come. Let's pray. Lord, come, Lord Jesus, come. We need you. We want you. Help us to long for your return, to salivate for it. More than we look for December 25th, more than anything, help us to look forward to your return, to fix everything that's broken, to give sight to the blind, to allow the mute to speak, the deaf to hear, the lame to walk, dry places to flourish. Every disease will be healed. Sighing and sorrow will flee away. God, because you're coming. Your joy itself. Your peace himself. Your love himself. And you're coming. God, we're so excited. Help us as we look forward to this Christmas where we celebrate your first coming to also look forward to your next coming when we will be joined to you forever as your bride. We love you, Lord. Thank you for your promise, the vision of that promise, and for being the way for that promise to come true. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen.